Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Um, Colby, anything going on in the golf world these days? Uh, not a whole lot. Just U.S. Open qualifying, Canadian Opens coming up. Victor Hovland, the man, gets it done <laughs> on U.S. soil. Uh, other than that, I don't have a clue what you could possibly be referencing. Victor, our, our favorite resident caddy, uh, Hovland, also won a PGA event. No big deal. Uh, yeah, so PGA Tour and Live maybe, uh, or they are merging. So uh, it's been a crazy, crazy news day, but we have a lot to get to specifically with Oklahoma State. Obviously disappointing finishes to the season for especially OSU baseball, also OSU softball, uh, OSU getting a big man in men's basketball as well. So a lot to get to. But first, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. We appreciate Chris's and go get your all your OSU shopping needs done at Chris's if you're in Stillwater. Um, Colby, we'll get to all the craziness with golf and, and Victor and, and everything that occurred there, but I think we should need to start with uh, OSU baseball, OSU softball. Let's start with baseball, who just got embarrassed, completely blown off the face of the earth up there in Stillwater, hosting a regional. And again, we all knew they got a tough draw. We all knew Oral Roberts was one of the hottest teams in the country, even though they were a four seed. We all knew how good Dallas Baptist was. You and I, we tried to downplay it. So did Josh Holiday about those midweek series games that they lost to those teams. But um, that turned out to be not relevant at all because they weren't even competitive up in Stillwater. No, they weren't. It was it was exceptionally disappointing. Uh, I really couldn't believe what I was watching. Friday night, I, I kind of got it against ORU. It was you know, you had the weather delay and then the wind switched and kind of took away a lot of your home home run prowess. And what was a beautiful day turned into a chilly Oklahoma night with a north wind blowing and, oh, or you had it rolling, you didn't get it, get it going. You know, I can almost kind of explain that one away. What happened Saturday against Dallas Baptist, I don't know what the explanation could possibly be to explain that away. And, and I hate that I didn't get to watch that game. We were at a three-year-old's birthday party Saturday afternoon. Uh, that's where we're at in life. So we were at a three-year-old's birthday party. We left. I checked the score on my phone because I wanted to hurry home and watch the end of the game. I checked the score on my phone, and it was 15-1. to 1. And I, I did a double take, and I wasn't sure if I was looking at the right thing, if this was updated. Um, I was shocked. And then... Uh, I, I went back and kind of looked at it and the way it played out. And I mean, it's hard to say a team quit. You never want to say a team quit. Sometimes it's just not your day, but man, that's embarrassing on your home field, hosting a regional and Dallas Baptist smacks you like that. Um, it's a really hard way for this season to end. And I don't, I don't know that I had national championship aspirations for this team, but this team had a chance to make it to Omaha. I, re I really felt that uh, they had high end talent. Uh, Nolan Schubert is as good as it gets in college baseball. And to see it go 0-2 at regionals, uh, I, I mean, postseason starts and your season's over just with the snap of a finger. It was very disappointing, Carson. I, I love OSU baseball, um, and it was really hard to watch them go out like that. Yeah, and it's one of those it's one of those finishes where there's not a whole lot Josh Holiday and the players 
there's not a whole lot they can say. I mean, the results pretty much speak for themselves. And it, I kind of feel for teams when this happens. Not only does your season end, but you know, you you literally weren't competitive, and you get somewhat embarrassed at home. Uh, the quotes you see coming out of there, you know, it's there's there's just not a whole lot you can say. And I think a lot of people are wondering, like, where does this program go from now? And look, I was heaping a ton of praise on Josh Holiday for the consistency he's had in terms of, you know, hosting. They've been one of the most consistent programs uh, in the country in terms of regionals. But man, Colby, it's they haven't made the College World Series since 2016, and they only have one super regional appearance since then. So it's kind of the opposite problem that um, Mike Boynton's having in basketball where he doesn't even get in the tournament. OSU's getting in the tournament plenty in baseball. They're just not even getting to the next stage in Super Regionals, let alone, you know, the World Series. And, you know, I don't I don't pretend to follow baseball every single day, and I'm not breaking down the too deep on the, the pitching staff by any means. So I don't – I can't really pinpoint what the issue here is, Colby. I think a lot of people were turning up the heat on Rob Walton and the pitching. I think that's been a constant gripe. And that's kind of like the you know the offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator, Colby, when, you're, when your head coach is established – People are going to want some heads to roll, kind of like we did in football. Uh, I think I think maybe Rob Walton is 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 kind of taking the same brunt of criticism that, that Casey Dunn is these days. Is that the kind of the, the sense you're getting from the disappointing finish to the season? Yes, I, I would say uh, to fans, we have a level of access to football and a level of understanding of what happens uh, in football because it is covered tooth and nail so in-depth. And we don't necessarily have that with baseball. I mean, we can see from the outside looking in, but it's just not like football. We're not covering it every day. We're not getting quotes from these guys every day. We're not on a game-by-game basis uh, having assistants answer for the decisions that they make and and criticizing them along the way. For the most part, when it comes to baseball, um, you kind of watch as the regular season plays out. Most of those games are like, all right, let's just get it to tournament season. And then you're judged by what happens in the postseason. And when it ends like this, People are going to want someone to answer for it, but without being in the day-to-day for four months uh, and and knowing every little thing that's happening, I don't know exactly where to point the finger. So, um, you know, if you follow this stuff day in, day out, you're an Oklahoma State diehard, and you know everything about what's happening with that staff and who's making decisions um, and, and which guys are injured and how all that factors in, and you have an educated opinion and you want to call for somebody's job, I get it. If you're just a fan who saw the end result, I don't know that it's fair to call for somebody's job um, w- without some concrete reasons to do so. And I follow Oklahoma State baseball, um, but I've got a one-year-old. I don't follow it the way I used to. I- I'm not I'm not in it every day. For a long time, I was in it every day, and I loved OSU baseball. And I just I don't have the time or the ability to be able to do that anymore, so it's hard for me to sit here and call for Rob Walton's job. I think that you have to put your trust in Josh Holiday that he knows what's best for the program. He's he's brought in Robin Ventura. Uh, he's brought in his brother, Matt Holiday, And we see what the offense has been able to accomplish in Stillwater. I certainly do think that the pitching needs to be better, but I don't know that you're guaranteeing a better staff, a better postseason result, anything like that by letting go of Rob Walton. So uh, I think from my perspective, I'm going to trust Josh Holiday. Um, th- this program, Carson, it feels like it's on the precipice of taking that next step. You, you just – you hope it comes, and and I don't know what the answer is to get you there. Uh, I sure hope it's Josh Holiday because everybody loves him with good reason, and he's had a lot of success at Oklahoma State, and a bad weekend in Stillwater doesn't undo that 
Uh, but it certainly it certainly begs some questions. So I will be curious to see if there are any moves made. Maybe somebody loses their job. Maybe nobody does. Um, but one way or another, if you're just kind of a casual Oklahoma State baseball fan, which is where I find myself at this point in my life right now, I just have to trust Josh Holiday and hope that he'll get it figured out and get this team over that hurdle to where they're kind of a consistent contender uh, going to Omaha every few years. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think Josh's job's in jeopardy whatsoever. Um, but I'm with you. I think they'll be curious to see if there's any staff changes. Uh, typically, when seasons end disappointingly, that's kind of where things go. And I mean, think about it holistically, Colby. If you're if you're Chad Weiberg, not a not a banner year for your entire athletics department. Yeah, I mean, we all know what happened in football. We all know what happened in basketball, uh, men's and women's. Uh, some disappointing finishes from from Oshu baseball, and obviously, I think we'll get to softball, and you know, it's a, it's a success anytime you get to Oklahoma City. But uh, men's golf, that disappointment. Women's golf, that disappointment. Uh, holistically, not a banner year for OSU athletics, and and Chad Weiberg is the one that has to answer for that. So I think he'll be asking questions of of every single sport, and I think that's kind of what you're alluding to, Colby, is when things happen, uh, the head coach might not be making a change but i think it's time to evaluate each and every program cole because it really has been a, a completely disappointing year as a whole yeah no doubt it has been i mean you look at um i mean trying to find the bright spots there aren't a ton of them i mean the women's golf team makes it to Greyhawk. that was nice uh jc hoyt had a good first year um yeah there, there just were not a ton of bright spots oklahoma state softball again makes it to the women's college world series but the high level success um and it, it seems like the women's program's faring better than the men's programs. It just hasn't been there recently. Um, this pod, you know, there was a year there. What was it? 21, maybe, where it seemed like everything was coming up roses for Oklahoma State. Football, basketball, um, softball, baseball, it, it, golf, both sides, men's and women's. Everything was roses. And those roses have spoiled. And we need some new ones. So, um, yeah, tough time to be an Oklahoma State Athletics fan, really, across the board. I think most sports fell short of expectations this season uh, from the, the start of the first semester in August to the conclusion of spring sports this past weekend. So definitely Chad Weiberg is going to have to um, look at some things and each individual program is responsible for getting itself back where it needs to be. Yeah. And uh, softball is included in that. How would you, how would you determine the the softball season as, as a success or failure based on how they performed and, Oklahoma City, they lose three to one to uh, Tennessee. They are eliminated. Um, what's your thoughts on the way the Cowgirls softball season came to an end, and how do you evaluate that with that in mind? Yeah, it's tricky, right? It's kind of like a Rubik's cube trying to figure out uh, this softball team. They were unbelievable, thirty nine and three, I think, before they lost eleven to thirteen to end the regular season, uh, and then they just roll through regionals and supers, and then kind of I don't want to say fall on their face in the. Uh, in the women's college world series, but they, they win one game out of the three they're eliminated. It was obviously a great season. You make it to the women's college world series. I think it was also a disappointing season because, um, I don't think that even, even when they win the super regional go to the women's college world series, I don't think much of the fan base, um, really thought that this was a team that was a national title contender. And two months ago, you would have absolutely said this Oklahoma State softball team is a legitimate national title contender. And when it all came, when, when it was time to play in Oklahoma City, it felt like, okay, they got here. That's a great accomplishment. But I don't think that they're on the level as, as a few of these other teams at the top. Uh, and that was the case. So it was. it's obviously a great season. Anytime you make the Women's College World Series, that's nothing to scoff at whatsoever. 
it's just I, I think we talked about this some last week, maybe the week before, how expectations can sometimes cloud reality. And because the expectations were so high for Oklahoma State softball, uh, I do think that it is a little disappointing that they weren't really even contenders to get to that championship series in Oklahoma City, uh, which is tough because, again, a couple of months ago, you would have thought it was OU and OSU coming down to the wire for the Natty, and then Oklahoma State just faded. So um, great great season to make it to Oklahoma City, but certainly disappointing that what we thought this team was probably mid-March ended up not really being what this team was. They were they were just good enough to get to Oklahoma City, and that was about the ceiling. Um, so, yeah, I think our, our expectations for what this team was going to accomplish late in the season probably clouded the reality uh, of where the season ended up. Yeah, and I, I just think sports like baseball and softball are so rhythm dependent. And just for whatever reason, it never felt like OSU softball was able to kind of recapture the rhythm they had early in the year when they even overtook OU for number one in the country after OU lost to Baylor. And you look at the stats and you kind of wonder if they did not tap out their their complete potential because uh, they're one of the best hitting teams in the country, one of the best fielding teams as well. They ranked in the top 20 nationally in batting average, fielding, and earned run average. The only other team who can say that is the University of Oklahoma. So statistically, uh, by the metrics, that's the level. They were They were really the only team statistically on Oklahoma's level. But to your point, Colby, they just weren't they, they never really rediscovered that form late in the year that they had throughout the year. Uh, we, we've mentioned the lull that they had towards the end of the season. They did a great job to sweep their way back to Oklahoma City. I just I kind of step away from this season thinking that based on the talent, the metrics, and what they had, it, to me it's a disappointing end to a season considering they had that that level of potential right there with Oklahoma. No, you're right. You, you throw in those stats at me. It's like this this team – should have been what they were a couple of months ago. And and maybe their their stats got elevated by what they did uh throughout the first what 80% of the season before they they had a tough closing stretch. And I don't want to sit here and act like it's just easy to go to Oklahoma City and run over the best teams in the country, but you're on the opposite side of the bracket from Oklahoma. They go out in that first game against Florida State and they they don't even have a chance. I mean, they get run off the field against Florida State. Then they come back with a nice win and you're thinking, all right, get on a little run here. And and it just comes to a, a very abrupt end. I, I do think that this team um, was talented enough from what we saw earlier in the year to compete for a national title. But uh, whenever they got here, it, it just didn't look like it. It didn't look to me like they were on the same level, certainly as Oklahoma and Florida State, who will play for the national championship. And it's it's a lot to ask, right, to take that last step, to, to go from being one of the best teams in the country to the best team in the country. I mean, that's what we've been watching teams do in football forever. Oklahoma's going on nearly a quarter century now of trying to go from being one of the best teams in college football to the best team in college football. And it's not that easy to get over that hump, especially when the hump resides right down the highway in your state (laughs) and they're getting all the best players. It just, it it is a tough situation that Kenny Gajewski is in and he has done an unbelievable job at Oklahoma state. And, And the reality is if if the result for Oklahoma State for the softball for the next 10 years under Kenny Gajewski is a Women's College World Series appearance every year, but you don't win any titles, yeah, that's successful. You had a good team every year. But fans want that one ring, and it's just a tough place to be in, I think, as a coach. I think Kenny Gajewski has done a tremendous job. I think he did a tremendous job this year. I hope he coaches in Stillwater until he retires. Um, but, yeah, taking that last step, clearing that last hurdle is so so much more difficult than I think it probably looks from the outside in. 
um, because there's not a lot of parity in certain college sports. Softball is one of those. OU has a dynasty going right now until they get toppled. Um, you just have to be one of those next teams fighting and clawing for everything uh, right beneath them to get to that championship series, and hopefully Oklahoma State can get there soon. OU's like the damn Walking Dead, aren't they? I, I can't stand them. They're annoying. That's they're they're so annoying. <laughs> they were down to their last strike, down what three runs to Clemson, and they hit a three-run homework. They were yes, no, they were granted, tied with Stanford. That was, that was game two against Clemson. Oh, you probably would have run rolled them in game three, but the point remains. Yeah, and then they're they're tied with Stanford two two. You just cannot kill them. Like they're like Freddy Krueger, Krueger and Jason combined. So I mean, I mean they're. I keep thinking they're they're kind of like OU football winning the Big Twelve every year, Colby. Right? Like I keep thinking like, okay, next year they they lost they lost this player. Surely they can't keep this going. They lost this player. Surely they can't keep this going, and they do. So it's uh, you're right. Kenny Gasky has his work cut out for him, but I I'm a big believer in him, and I think the key for him is to keep getting big name and big arm transfers in the transfer portal. Pitching that's something Patty Gasso's done with this this Jordy Ball girl, the latest example. I think that's the key is is continuing to get those portal pitching stabs as well as the, all the young up and coming hitters that he's been able to recruit as well. So I have full faith in him, but you're right. There's this is a ladder and and the last steps the hardest one to take. So I'm encouraged. I just I, I do wonder if he'll look back on this year wondering if if they got enough out of the team as a whole. But still, nonetheless, a great season. Anytime you make it to the World Series, uh, it's a great accomplishment and it kind of shows you where. OSU softball is these days versus before he took over. He's completely changed the expectations, and that's certainly a credit to him. Uh, let's shift to Victor Hovland. Gets his, what, fourth win on the PGA Tour. He's now, I believe he's sixth all-time Oklahoma State alums when PGA Tour wins, Colby, and I think we're we're really starting to see him make the leap. He's now contended in, what, three straight majors, uh, pushed Brooks Kepka to the absolute brink, and then he just – he just keeps coming, and uh, he made Denny McCarthy succumb to the pressure in uh, the playoff. Yeah, he did. Victor, it was so fun watching him on Sunday. Those, those holes, uh, for anyone who watched the tournament, anyone who's a golf fan, 16, 17, and 18 at Muirfield Village, which is where Victor Hovland won over the weekend, are such difficult golf holes. So difficult, in fact, that there was one birdie on the 17th hole on Sunday. They had the pin right in the middle of the green. About the easiest pin you can play. They had the pin right in the middle of the green. There was one birdie on Sunday, and it was Victor Hovland's birdie. He had to make about a 30-footer up the hill on the 71st hole of the tournament, and I think he knew that he was going to need one coming in if he was going to have a chance to get into a playoff with Denny McCarthy. And when Denny finally missed on 18, and I didn't think he was ever going to miss, but when he finally missed on 18, there was no chance that Victor Hovland was not going to win that playoff. The 18th hole... That Muirfield Village is not built for Denny McCarthy. It is built for Victor Hovland, who can just step up. He, he's got his ball on an absolute string, like you said, Carson. He's been in the final group of the last three majors on Sunday. And, you, you know, there were some people on Twitter. Uh, I don't know. Victor just doesn't have that dog in him. I, I don't know what they're talking about. Victor Hovland had that dog in him at Oak Hill a few weeks ago. Brooks Kepka was just one hole better. I, I mean, Victor Hovland pushed him to the brink, made him earn it. And 
He was just one shot better. Golf's ultimate alpha dog in Brooks Kepka. Victor Hovland pushed him to the brink, uh, and then he goes out last weekend when guys are dropping like flies. You and I were texting about Hideki. It looked like Hideki had it in the bag Saturday afternoon. He falls off the face of the earth. Cantlay's one there twice. Cantlay gets up to six or seven under. He drops back. Rory McIlroy cannot hit the green from 95 yards. Just simply cannot do it. He falls back. Everybody is dropping like flies on what was an immensely difficult golf course. Not Victor Hovland. He got it done. He's playing unbelievable golf. Carson, he's up to the fifth-ranked player in the world. Victor Hovland is ranked higher than Xander Schauffele, Max Homa, Matt Fitzpatrick, Cam Smith, Jordan Spieth, all these guys. Victor Hovland is the real deal. Uh, I don't know if he gets a major this year. There's only two left. That's a lot to ask to to win a major right after winning the Memorial. Guys don't often win back-to-back when they win before majors, but he's going to have a chance next week. He's going to have a chance in Liverpool next month. Uh, He is so much fun to watch. His personality is just intoxicating. Everybody loves him. I, I cannot say enough good things about Victor Hovland. Phil Mickelson said he's the favorite to win the U.S. Open now. You buying that? Uh, sober Phil or drunk Phil? Uh, they're one and the same, aren't they, these days? <laughs> it's hard to differentiate. Uh, <laughs> Twitter Phil. <laughs> we'll call I, him Twitter Phil. I, I can't call him the favorite. I can't go that far. He's, yeah. he's one of the five favorites, but there are some, some guys with major championship pedigree. I mean, Scotty Scheffler has finished one shot out of a playoff the last two weeks, and the dude cannot make a putt to save his life. John Rahm's putting's been terrible. He's still playing well. Um, you've got Brooks Kepka, who who's finished T two and then first at the at the two majors starting the year. I can't make Victor Hovland the favorite, but he's one of the five favorites. Yeah, definitely the way he's playing. I mean, he's he's making the leap, the leap that you hope young players can make. When and the and the, he's doing it at the toughest setups, all the major championships, and obviously Memorial Jack's place played like a major. Uh, he's he's really separating himself when the the courses are playing at major like conditions and. As far as Victor's concerned, like you could just tell this guy was different based on his run, not only at Oklahoma State that we all watched, but mainly the one that I keep going back to is the U.S. Amateur that he won at Pebble Beach. He won. This is just winning holes. He won 43 out of 104 holes. That's winning. That's not having. He won nearly half, 43 of 104 holes he won. He trailed one hole out of six rounds of match play. That's a level of golf that very few ever can achieve, and especially when it comes to match play, how random it can be. That's when I knew this guy was just different than most guys coming out of Oklahoma State that are going to go play on the PGA Tour. Like that, Colby, that's just, that is not normal. That is something that only a, a major championship level player can do. And so from then on, He's continued to fulfill the promise that he showed there, but that's that's when I knew Colby that this kid was special, and he's even taken his game to to another level since then. Yeah, I can't wait to see what he accomplishes over the next probably five years. Uh, he just hits the ball so well that he has a very high floor. His, his short game is always going to be what it is. I, I don't think it's worth him wasting a ton of time trying to turn a weakness into a strength. Get your short game better. Get it serviceable, formidable. But he doesn't ever have to be sevy around the greens. Like, that's not what he needs to be. He needs to make sure that he never loses his ability to hit the ball the way he can hit the ball because it just – on these hard courses, these tough layouts, major championships, designated events, the absolute biggest events, the cream rises to the crop, and the cream are the guys who can hit the ball better than anyone else in the world. That is where the biggest differential in strokes gained is. 
And Victor Hovland uh, is one of those guys. He's one of the elite ball strikers in the world. So, yeah, do you want the short game and the putting to be better? Yes, but that's not going to be there every week. What you need to do is make sure that he continues to hit the ball as well as he is. And then the weeks the short game and the putting do show up, he's going to be at the top of the leaderboard. So uh, I'm very bullish on what Victor Hovland can accomplish in his career. And as if his approval rating couldn't be any higher with not just Oklahoma State fans, but really the golf world as a whole, I think has really started to see what Victor's personality is all about. Just a complete happy-go-lucky dude who does not take himself too seriously at all to the point where he caddied the very next uh, day on Monday for Zach Bushu, his former uh, teammate at Oklahoma State. He caddied for him in U.S. Open qualifying. And of course, this went viral. I mean, he's made $9 million this season, just won a cool, what, $3.5 million on Sunday. And here he is catting for his college buddy, Colby. I think that you and I already kind of knew what Victor was all about, people that follow Oshu. But I think that the rest of the world is starting to realize just what a good dude Victor is. Yeah, he's just he's just a guy. He's just a guy who happens to be one of the best players in the world. Uh, he still lives in Stillwater because he likes just – hanging out with his buddies at Karsten and just playing golf and having fun and uh, being comfortable. He, he goes home to Norway and he plays the public courses with, I mean, literally Norwegians just come out to watch him play. Like he just has a gallery when he goes plays public rounds in Norway, but he's just a guy. And he's so, 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 so likable. Uh, I think golf, especially right now can just use guys at the top who are really likable, um, who aren't about all the drama and aren't involved in all the drama, just going out and teeing it up and, and being a lovable character in the game. And Victor is that, um, I didn't, I didn't see if Boshu got through or not, but that was cool that, uh, Hovland was on his bag. I watched a lot of those guys in college, especially at Karsten in 2018. I volunteered and I actually followed Boshu's group around most of the week that week. And he's a great player in his own right. Um, but yeah, that was really cool seeing Hovland do that yesterday. And, it's it's one of those things. The more you win, the better you get, the more people pay attention to you, and people are really starting to pay attention to Victor Hovland, and rightfully so. They're liking what they see. Yep, he's the man. Uh, one more bit of news before we get to Bullets and BBs. Oklahoma State landing a huge, huge, huge transfer in the men's basketball. Literally. We're, ki- we're kind of wondering, <laughs> literally, seven foot one Isaiah Miranda. Uh, you and I were kind of wondering, you know, uh, a lot of guys have gone out the door, Mike Boynton. What's coming in the door? And he did get the Javon Small kid uh, via the transfer portal. But losing, uh, you know, Musa Cisse was a huge loss inside. We kind of wondered how was he going to round out the roster. Well, seven foot one Isaiah Miranda, who took his name out of NBA draft consideration after uh, never seeing the floor with NC State, he kind of sat that sat out to go to the draft. But he's now coming to Stillwater, Colby. And don't look now, but you know. He comes in with you know Brandon Garrison uh, and Mike Marsh in the front court to go with obviously all the the backcourt talent he's acquired via transfer portal and uh, recruiting. Obviously, uh, the roster is looking pretty good all of a sudden, Colby. The roster is looking pretty good all of a sudden. This was a nice get. Uh, I was happy to see this news land. It's you you needed to bring in another big guy and and hopefully he will be a little better fit than what Musa was. Musa was a great player, but it always felt like Mike Boynton didn't know exactly when to use him because um, he just, he had a unique skill set. He was great defensively, but he was kind of awkward offensively. And he had the little mid-range jumper he started to develop, but it just never felt like it fully fit, uh, even though his, his time in Stillwater was a lot of fun. Hopefully this guy is somebody who you can play 25 minutes a game, because if you get a guy at his size, who you can have out there late in the game making plays. Uh, you, you need that guy. He was, let's see, 
He was the 48th prospect in the country coming out of high school. He was the number 11 center and the number six talent in California. Uh, He goes to NC State. He's still a four-star player in the transfer portal, ranked as the 17th center overall and the 109th player overall uh, on the boards this summer. So um, still a very good player. Obviously, things didn't work out at NC State, but we said Mike Boynton needed to make a splash in the portal, uh, and seven-foot-one makes a pretty big splash. Yes, it does. And you're right, the the talent's there. So he's got a lot of stars, meaning literal stars, four and five stars on the roster. We'll have to see how he makes it all work, makes it all mesh. I mean, that's the name of the game now with the transfer portal and, and college basketball. Your your roster just simply does not look the same from year to year. That's that's what we're dealing with. You know, I actually saw Mike, gosh, what was this, three three years ago? Um, I think it was right before COVID. Um and he he basically said he wasn't even recruiting high school kids back then. He was only recruiting transfer portal kids. Obviously, that's changed with the uh, the, the acquisitions he's gotten on signing day and s- things of that nature. But his job has just dramatically, dramatically changed. And I think he's rolling with the punches as best he can. Because, again, he lost a ton of players off last year's roster. And it's going to look a lot different. But we'll have to wait and see how it all uh, progresses. Uh, before we get to uh, the live stuff and PGA stuff, how about we get to uh, Bullets and BBs, Colby? What you got for me? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I know we already talked about him at length, but I had planned on giving my bullet today to Victor Hovland. I, I think that he is on his way, and I think he's in the middle of an ascension right now where we're going to see him be one of the five best players in the world for the next 10 years. And I know I'm a golf guy. Uh, I know that this probably resonates with a, a smaller percentage of our audience than some things. But I, I do think that whenever you see a guy doing what he's doing, it can't be talked about enough because Oklahoma State – Despite its golf history, Carson weirdly has not had that much success at the professional level. There have been a lot of guys get there, a lot of guys hang out on tour, but Oklahoma State alums have one major championship all time. One. Bob Toy holding out from the bunker in 86 to beat Greg Norman. That, that's it. That's the major championship. I think Victor Hovland is going to get one in the next couple of years. Uh, I think he will probably end his career with multiples. They, they don't just hand those things out like candy. They're hard to get. But again, if you can hit the ball the way he can hit the ball, those courses are set up for guys who are just the absolute best ball strikers in the world. He is that guy. So uh, I, I know I, I probably sound like I'm beating a dead horse right now, but appreciate Victor Hovland and what he's doing if you're a golf fan and an Oklahoma State fan because there just aren't that many of these guys that come around. Uh, and whenever one of them um, belongs to your school, and and not only that, he's orange through and through. He's still a Stillwater guy. He's not a Jupiter guy. He's not in Dallas. He's not in Vegas. He's not in Scottsdale. He's in Stillwater. I love me some Victor Hovland. He gets my bullet. It's pretty crazy to think about. Uh, he also spends a lot of time at Oak Tree, from what I hear. So that's uh, he's an Oklahoman. He's our he's our Norwegian Oklahoman, and we love him. He's, I just man, I it's gonna be great when he eventually does win a major because I do think he is gonna win at least one, if not more. So that was spectacular. Um, my bullet is gonna go to one Justin Blackman, officially on the 2024 ballot for the College Football Hall of Fame. It's a long list. There's 78 players listed, and nine of them are uh, receivers, including Blackman, Larry Fitzgerald, headlining, along with Marvin Harrison and others. But Colby, I I think sometimes maybe I'm I'm a little concerned that like the pro careers might slant voting. Like like a Marvin Harrison wasn't half the college receiver that uh, Justin Blackman was. I mean, I, I again I I stand by. It. I think Justin Blackman's the greatest college football wide receiver of all time and the numbers bear that out i've done all the comparisons between him and 
uh, Larry Fitzgerald and even Michael Crabtree, the only other receiver to win two Bolitnikoffs. And to me, it's it's clear as day on stats and in the eye test as well. I mean, that guy was he's the closest thing we've seen to like a Barry Sanders playing wide receiver. You just, you, you couldn't tackle him. You couldn't come near him. And he physically dominated you. And so uh, I'm glad to see Justin's come around back to Stillwater lately. And uh, it was great to see him on the ballot. Yeah, it was. It's been nice to see Justin back in Stillwater. He's still so beloved by the Oklahoma State faithful. Um, he he came on some some hard times, uh, most of them self-inflicted. But you you still you show the guy love, uh, and Oklahoma State fans have done that. And I like to see him back in the fold. He absolutely should be a Hall of Famer. I, I think we both think that he was the greatest receiver in the history of college football. And there are other names that absolutely deserve to be on that list. And you can make an argument for those guys uh, that I wouldn't fight you on. But Justin Blackman was so unbelievable, so unguardable. Uh, What he and Whedon accomplished together in that entire team was really, really special. Uh, I think that they were national championship good. I know a lot of people listening probably agree. I know you agree. I think that they were robbed out of the opportunity to try to do that. Uh, But yeah, good, good stuff for Justin Blackman. Carson, I'm going to give mine to scheduling, just scheduling. The kick times come out, and I'm already annoyed. Second game of the season's at 930. I knew it would be. They're playing at Arizona State. But, Carson, I'm at a different point in my life. I've talked about this. It is, it is difficult for me to stay awake until 1 a.m. Because I'm now up at, at 630 every morning. I've got the kiddo that's going, she's going to bed at eight o'clock every night and I'm asleep by 1030. That's my schedule. And football is going to totally screw that up. And in particular, West coast football is going to screw that up. And Oklahoma state just has to play at Arizona state. I'll say this much. If I'm staying up until 1am to watch a college football game, they better win. Don't go to, don't go to Tempe and get beat or I'm going to be really mad at one o'clock in the morning as I'm trying to fall asleep. So uh, (laughs) I was hoping maybe we would get lucky and get an afternoon game in the desert, but that's not going to be the case. We're going to have to be up until the wee hours. So uh, I hate that. I hate TV times, but it is what it is. Well, we better get used to it if if the Big 12 is going to acquire a bunch of Pac-12 schools, right? (sighs) Is my response. You better start getting the, the coffee pot going. Uh, and I hate coffee too. It's not a good mix. Yeah. I, I love coffee, but I don't like it at midnight. <laughs> so I'm right there with you. Uh, I got to give my BB to Oshi baseball. Just an embarrassing performance. There's no other way to say it. I know that's, it sounds harsh, but it's true. It, it elicited tweets like this from Zach Barnett, who does a great job with the college football news. He says, hard to imagine anyone ever having a worse NCAA tournament than Oklahoma state. Yikes. <laughs> And I think that sums it up to get completely run off your field by by the lower seeds uh, as the host is a bitter, bitter pill to swallow. And look, they had a good year, uh, split a Big 12 title three ways. Uh, but the way the season ended is going to leave a, a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths uh, until they get to next year. It absolutely is. And yeah, that's a that's a hard way to go out to essentially to, to be done by but before the sun even starts setting on Saturday, and now you've just got to host the regional for these other programs. They just get <laughs> to play baseball in your in your park. That's tough. That's tough to watch. So, yep, tough one for OSU baseball. Yep, tough scene. Uh, lastly, uh, the big news that broke today, again, we're taping this on Tuesday around lunchtime hour. Um, Live Golf is merging with the PGA Tour. And there's, look, there's Colby, there's a lot of layers to this, and more details are going to come out. I guess there's a players-only meeting this afternoon around – four o'clock, three o'clock our time. Uh, a lot more is going to come out of this Colby, but 
you know, you and I talk a lot of golf on this show. And I, I think for guys like Victor Hovland, who were loyal, are feeling a certain way about staying with the PGA Tour and not cashing in. And guys like Taylor Gooch, friend of the show, who cashed in a ton of money, gets to come back and play on the tour on the PGA. At, uh, a lot of mixed emotions, d- d- depending on which side of the lines you're on. Yeah, my biggest thing is I wish that the truth could be told, but it can't. Um, the truth is money wins and they're going to talk about how good this is for the game of golf and about how they're ending the division and they're ending the disruption and all this. The reality is money wins and the Saudis have a lot of it. Um, I don't know what the tour is going to do to uh, try to reward the guys who stayed because I mean, like you said, Victor Hovland, John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy, who has, I mean, just driven himself half crazy defending the PGA Tour over the last two years and has taken so much hate from the live bots and the occasional person on Twitter. It's just, what do you do for those guys? And how do you reincorporate the guys who left? Like Taylor Gooch, for example. Is he just, at the end of this season, like, is he just back, like he just has a PGA Tour card again? Or what is the process? I'm also very curious. I'm very curious, Carson, about what happens with Matthew Wolf. Because Matthew Wolf was on his way kind of toward losing his PGA Tour card anyway, whenever he went to live. He didn't have a lot of time left on the PGA Tour if he didn't start playing better golf. He goes to live and he played some good golf late last year. But now, coming into this season, it seems like there's a rift with him and his team. He, I believe, is a free agent right now and isn't on a team. I, I don't really know what the deal is with Matt Wolf and Liv Golf. I, I don't think he maybe is playing in their, their upcoming um, tournament that they've got. So, like, does he have to go corn ferry or does he have to qualify? How weird does all this get? Uh, I'm very curious to see what happens with a couple of the former Cowboys who went over there. Um, what about a guy like Eugenio Chicar Lopez? Never played on the PGA Tour, went straight from college to Liv Golf. Does he now have a PGA Tour card? Or would he go to where he would have been essentially coming out of college? Now he won't have PGA Tour U to fall back on. Does he have to go to to Monday Q into Corn Ferry events and play Latino America, uh, PGA Tour Latino America? It's it's going to be very weird how they reincorporate these guys to the PGA Tour because I think if they just hand out tour cards to all the guys who are on live, then they're going to have a mutiny on their hands from the guys who stayed with the PGA Tour. So um, I think, I think Jay Monahan comes out looking pretty bad in all this. Uh, I also think he probably didn't have a ton of choices because at the end of the day, it's about the money. Money wins. Liv had it, the PGA Tour. Let, let, let's say this. Liv had an unlimited PGA Tour. Uh, if I can talk. Liv had an unlimited amount of money. The PGA Tour had a finite amount of money. Money wins. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the sponsors dropping out was, the, was a telltale sign. Things were not going well for the PGA Tour, but... You know, all the money and all the behind the scenes factors aside, Jay Monahan and the PGA Tour look horrible in the court of public opinion. He's been up there trotting out 9-11 and all these this moral high ground about why Liv's evil and the PGA Tour is above that. And he takes the same payout that the players who left did. It I don't think there's any way. He can make it through all this. And I know he's still the CEO and I know the players technically don't have any power. Hell, they didn't even know about it until we all did on Twitter. But public opinion matters. If the players turn on him, like I think they will, if Rory McIlroy is up there in a press conference saying, I ain't playing until Jay Monahan steps down and everyone follows Rory's lead, which they typically do, 
he's gone. And I think he, he has bungled this from the very beginning, three or four years ago, when this idea first came around, he has been resting on his laurels. He has not tried to change one thing about the tour. I mean, we've seen how many changes have occurred since live came about. And that, that is the difference between being reactive and being proactive. If you're reactive in a leadership position like his, this is what happens. You get completely depantsed and embarrassed, and that's what he is. And and look, you know, Taylor Gooch took a ton of flack for his decision. And I know people that know Taylor. I remember when all this was bubbling up and rumors of him joining were 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 abound. I was always of the opinion that I would take that money. T- t- uh, Taylor Gooch could break his wrist tomorrow and never regain his golf swing. Look at look at Hunter Mahan playing on Ryder Cups, top ten in the world, not even on tour anymore. Lost his game. That can happen to any of us or any professional golfer. Not us. You and I aren't professionals, Colby. But the point remains. Uh, I just think Monahan and the PGA look so horrible. They bungled this from day one, and and I'm happy for guys like Taylor Gooch who have earned the right to play at the highest level can can now continue to do so. Yeah, I, I've been anti live golf from the start, but it was never. Um, about a personal dislike or a vendetta against any one particular player. Uh, maybe Phil. For, for me, Phil has done irreparable <laughs> damage to his reputation. I'll never root for Phil again a day in his life, and there's no combination of words in the English language that uh, I think he could utter. That's fair. That, that can make me like him again. He's just, the dude's such an ass. But everybody else who went, it was never personal. Uh, I, I don't think that um, any of those guys got the flack that Phil has, and it's just because Phil can't stop talking. But those other guys were just like, yeah, I'm going over here. This is, yeah, look at the money. Like, this is, yeah, fun, team golf. Let's just, well, off season. Like, it was never personal with those guys. I didn't think that it was good to have the Saudis involved. Um, I still don't. I didn't think it was good for one man to essentially own the game of golf, and this does still leave power in the hands of a board. Of course, Yasir Al-Rumayan, the, the governor of the public investment fund, is going to be on the board. It's it's just weird. Um, and I probably haven't even fully formulated my opinion on it because the news kind of just dropped and still trying to figure out how to react to it. But overall, I think it's just uh, a weird place that golf finds itself in now where essentially, because of the amount of money that the Saudis have, they've been able to just buy themselves into the PGA Tour. And it's it's odd. It's very odd. Uh, I'll see what it means for golf going forward. But today is certainly a, a big win for the Saudis. It's a big win for Liv. Uh, and it's a huge, huge L for the PGA Tour and for Jay Monahan. Um, and and it's it's got to be very frustrating to those guys who stayed. So I, I don't know how this all plays out over the next um, weeks, months, years. But uh, golf will continue to be in the news because this is very interesting stuff. And I'm curious to see if golf is kind of the trial um, and we start to see some more of this stuff because we've seen the Saudis get involved buying soccer clubs, having an F1 event, things of that nature. But at one point, at what point do they start trying to get involved in more leagues as opposed to having a team here, a race here? At what point do they start to want to own already established leagues? Because that is is what has now happened with golf. So um, sports are changing and they're changing rapidly. So I, I don't think golf is where this thing ends. No. My question now, though, is what happens to the range goats? What happens to the four aces? <laughs> what, what happens to all my, my range goats gear? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I don't know. Does, does the tour have, like, 
here's my guess as to how they're going to incorporate the team element. I think they're going to have like five, maybe team events a year or something. I don't think every event is going to be a team event. I don't think they're going to be at Tiger's place, Arnie's place, Jack's place, uh, playing team golf. But I do think that you're going to see a handful of team events um, that guys are required to play in and stuff. I don't know. It's going to get weird, but uh, the, the theater of it, is fascinating. Just just sitting on the sidelines watching it, the theater of it is fascinating. Uh, watching Jay Monahan and Rumayon sit together this morning on CNBC and and try to answer what were pretty valid questions and basically just tap dancing around all of them with <laughs> pre-prepared statements. It's it's going to be fascinating to watch, and I can't wait to hear the stories that come out of the players' meeting this afternoon. Yep, it's going to be fascinating. All right, Colby, anything else before we get out of here? Uh, next week, we doing the rewatch pod? Yes. Are we finally going to get to that now that... Uh... Uh- are we committed? Or, uh, baseball and softball are done. I think we need to lock in a, a firm commitment to uh, do the rewatch pod next week. Spring sports. Right. Pistols rewinding. We're going to rewatch the uh, Kevin Durant, Mario Bogan slash Byron Eaton slash Tyler Hatch showdown and Gallagher Iba. I was there as a college reporter for the Ocali, so that'll be a fun stroll down memory lane. And we got some fun OSU centric categories we'll go through and kind of rehash uh, one of the more incredible games in OSU history. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, looking forward to that. Everyone tune in next week. Thanks for listening. As always, go folks.